Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson here on WKXL AM and FM streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com. You can binge listen to all our shows from the past, relive the glory days, the press conferences of Donald J. Trump, the summit meetings between uh, Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump. You remember them. And uh, we're also a podcast on Google Stitcher and iTunes. We are co-hosting Matt Robeson and I, Matt Robeson, who publishes all kinds of interesting articles at the Alternet and is the proprietor of a blog, a moreperfectunionforum.com, a very interesting blog about politics because Matt is a smart political guy. In fact, I was trolling the internet the other day and I saw a noted journalist refer to Matt Robeson as one of the nation's brightest political operatives. And I asked myself, are you speaking about the same Matt Robeson I talk to every week on Off the Record, my co-host? And the answer is yes, it's the same Matt Robeson. So Matt, your reputation has preceded you somewhere in the political firmament. And I'm glad we're doing this show together at a time of pandemic crises, democratic crises, climate crises, and who knows what other kinds of crises. It might as well be you and me trying to figure it out. I think that's about right. I, I think a lot of people have reached this point and uh, they're ready to throw their hands up. And for uh, our Jewish listeners, it feels like the recitation of the 10 plagues at the Passover Seder. Um, there is in fact a plague of locusts in Africa. There have been power outages that uh, led to darkness. There was a river that uh, due to contamination turned red. Um, so we're really just waiting for the flogs, uh, the frogs, the cattle disease. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't want to say anything about the firstborn children, but um, it, it, this is a, an unprecedented set of uh, political and societal events. So and just to, to frame things a little bit, uh, we've seen massive protests throughout the nation, uh, which are continuing now without uh, any kind of violence, which appear to have been the work of interlopers and not the people who are expressing their frustration with centuries of police brutality and white supremacy. Um, in and around Washington, D.C., uh, the National Guard have uh, withdrawn mostly to their stations. They've, the tanks have rolled back. The flamethrowers are put back in their holsters. Um, we haven't had any injuries to protesters for a while, uh, at least a day or so. Uh, the president, um, uh, in his usual fashion, cast a 75-year-old protester in Buffalo who was pushed to the ground by police as uh, a likely Antifa conspirator um, for which he was soundly condemned. Numbers of Republicans have come out saying they are not going to vote for the president, President Bush, Colin Powell, former Senator and Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel, uh, former Senator Jeff Flake, with whom I worked in Congress, um, have all said they will not vote for the president. The president has moved the Republican uh, National Convention to Jacksonville, Florida. Um, uh, he apparently wants to accept the nomination on the anniversary of a tragic racial incident in Jacksonville. And uh, he is planning to go to Tulsa because he wants to make sure that 
his people don't wear masks and come out and can lustily cheer him on the anniversary of yet another tragic racial incident in Tulsa, which according uh, to African-American leaders in Tulsa uh, will take place uh, apparently one block from where his rally is. I mean, it is, uh, things are, things, things are never quiet uh, in the Donald Trump White House. I think one of the things that I've really taken away from last week that's, that's hard to uh, undersell um, is just how rapid a societal change we're seeing. The last time we've seen a change in opinion this rapid, and it was not as fast as this, was the sense of the public around marriage equality for uh, gay couples, um, where we saw a, a really rapid change, a, a, a total shift in trajectory on polling over the course of, it, it, it unfolded over the course of about six years. You went from 2004, where Karl Rove and Republicans were able to exploit uh, marriage equality as a wedge issue, putting it on the ballot in a number of states in order to drive up turnout, which subsequent studies show worked um, to help reelect President George W. Bush, to by 2011, 2012, Joe Biden and, and then President Obama um, making this whole shift and catching up with the country is. And I think what you're alluding to with President Trump and his complete tone deafness, his invocation of a Richard Nixon message of law and order that's 50 years old is just how rapid the shift has been and just how out of step he is. You know, there was some polling that came out this week. So after Eric Garner was killed by police in 2014, 33% of Americans and only 26% of white respondents felt that police are more likely to use excessive force against African-Americans. Now, in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, 57% of Americans, 49% of white respondents agree with that statement. And Frank Luntz, the notorious, well-known Republican pollster who gave us um, euphemisms like death tax um, uh, and, and preferred that Republicans refer to climate change rather than global warming, um, says that he's never seen opinion shift this fast or this de deeply. He believes we're a different country today than we were just 30 days ago. Um, and then you have the fact that of the hundreds of protests that have taken place across the country, this is anecdotal, but the plural of anecdote is data. Uh, most of the people who are showing up are white. And that shows that there is a wholesale um, acceptance, not only acceptance, but an energy uh, among white Americans about this uh, seminal race issue. So we are seeing a very, on the heels of a pandemic, we are seeing a very rapid cultural transformation around issues of race that is probably unprecedented in American history. And the polling shows that most Americans uh, are actually quite supportive of the protests. Um, it is as if in the digital age, which uh, everybody thought the president was the sole master of with his tweeting, but that in the digital age, the rapidity of communications and the ubiquity of being able to see what, what, ha what has happened, including the eight minute and 40 second, 46 second video of what happened to George Floyd um, in Minneapolis, uh, 
has galvanized people in a way that uh, is is resonant somehow of the of the 55, 53 years ago in 1968. Um, uh, but uh, what's happened with the Black Lives Matter movement uh, is, as you say, really stunning given the, the, the changes that have taken place in the last, say, five or six years with the way people view the Black Lives Matter movement. I, 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 I published an op-ed about reparations in the Concord Monitor um, this week about reparations citing a work by Ta-Nehisi Coates, the uh, highly respected and quite brilliant writer who in 2014 wrote about the issue in The Atlantic. Uh, in the quixotic campaign of uh, Marianne Williamson, which I was involved with, a central pillar of her campaign was reparations, um, arguing that it was not just an economic uh, issue, but also an issue of somehow uh, spiritually, culturally, socially, psychologically, and morally uh, accepting a responsibility and allowing the country to move on. I think the predominance of, of white people in the protests, and I am thinking about uh, the conversation, Matt, we had with Professor Phoenix, Devin Phoenix, the other day, in which he uh, opined, at least uh, based on studies he had done, that in general anger and indignation brought African Americans out to the streets to protest, but it was only pride and hope that uh, brought them to the voting booths to, to vote. He, 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 we discussed that very interesting distinction, and here we're seeing large groups of white people together with people of color of all stripes on a persistent uh, a persistent campaign that I agree with you has probably changed our culture. I, I, I'm wondering how deep the connection is between the uh, media's reporting that the pandemic, COVID-19, disproportionately um, uh, affected uh, African Americans and people of color and people uh, in poorer communities as the tinder, the, the, the kindling for the spark that the George Floyd killing set off. It was as if there was a bonfire ready to go and the George Floyd killing was the mat, match. And all of a sudden, I, I wonder how deep goes the connection in, in the American psyche now. Do people really contemplate and understand the depth and degree of the systemic racism, not just in the police, but in society in general. And when people are now talking about um, defunding the police, a, uh, a, 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 a title or hashtag or message, which you and I can talk about, because I think it's really problematic. Uh, but, but does this go deeper than the moment? Do you think it goes to a, a bigger understanding by the American public that says, yeah, there have been wrongs done for a long time and this is the tip of the iceberg and we recognize and are committed to doing something about it, not just talking about it, but doing something. Two thoughts there. One is that 
hearkening back to the example from a moment ago of the change that occurred on Americans' views on marriage equality between 2004 and 2010. And anyone with access to Google right now, it's a fascinating Google if you want to pull up polling uh, and, and you just see the, the trend lines just flip um, on, on where the numbers were and where Americans' views were. And, you know, it, it was interesting because at the time in 2004, this was something that was very hard for Democrats especially to navigate. And within the political lifetime um, of people like you who were in office, people like me who were uh, running campaigns and supporting people in office, the whole calculus around that changed. And, uh, you know, I do think that what we're seeing here and what you're seeing in the polling is um, just a very different set of views. Now, there's a question here. So, so the, the answer to your specific question is, is yes. Yes. I do think that this is fundamental. I think that we have crossed a Rubicon here. Um, and I don't think that there's going back on that. Now, how it will translate, whether it's changed the election, whether it's changed the politics of the next six months leading to the November election, that's a lot trickier uh, as a question. Um, you know, and I think Professor Phoenix was very eloquent on this point last week. Uh, we don't know how that alchemy will, <laughs> will unfold. We also don't know what's going to be on Americans' minds. Um, and we can talk about this more in the show, but um, I, I think if there's, if there's anything that's emerged from the last two or three months of American experience, it's that any sense that we have right now, that we know where things are going to be three to six months from now, is foolish. It is, it, it is badly. Actually, let's just go there now. I mean, I, I think this is worth talking about. I think that there's been a sense, you know, that once the, once the pandemic hit, all right, this is going to be it. This is going to be the driving issue. This is going to be all that's going to be on voters' minds in November. Well, guess what? Not the case as of today. But if one were to reckon on the basis of today and say, well, uh, equality, police, violence, um, racism, systemic racism, that will be the number one issue on voters' minds, or the economy will be the number one issues on voters' minds. I'm not willing to place that bet as of today. I mean, what, what about you? Uh, I'm going to leave that question hanging because we're going to take a short break here on Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM. We're going to take a short break to hear from the good folks who keep the station on the air. And we'll be back with Matt's question hanging in the air. What do I think is going to be the issue in the presidential race? We'll be back. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live at nhtalkradio.com, podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. And before we took a break to hear from all the good folks who keep the station on the air, Matt Robeson left a very poignant question, a trenchant question, a practical question, hanging in the air, as it were, surrounded by mist, fog, and, and, and light, the question broke through the crowds, and the question was, what in heaven's name is going to be the central issue 
in the upcoming presidential campaign. We have the president of the United States desperate to whip up his base, going to Tulsa to hold the big rally. Joe Biden is emerging from his basement bunker slowly, but uh, passionately uh, making speeches. And as Matt said, we thought the pandemic was the issue. We thought that the president's mishandling of this global crisis was going to be the issue. Well, we also thought that uh, his lying was going to be an issue back when uh, there were impeachment proceedings. Remember, this was a president who was impeached. Nobody's talking about that. Um, we thought that his cozying up to dictators in Russia was going to be the issue. Well, nobody's talking about that right now. We thought you could go through a laundry list. I do not have enough time in our one hour show to list all the issues we thought, but bringing it to the present day, because that's where we are and here we are, you ask an important question. And the answer is, I haven't a clue. I have not a clue as to what will happen between uh, today. I mean, here we are at the almost at the halfway mark of June, filings for state offices and and, and have been done here in New Hampshire. Things, people are beginning to talk about opening up economies. Pandemic is surging in places where economies have opened up. And what will be the issue? So the president has long been seen by many people as an overt racist. There has been, it, he denies it, of course, there's been little little, I mean, there's not a lot of argument about it, uh, at least from a large percentage of the population. So is the president's racism going to be the issue? Is it police brutality and social justice and reform of police and criminal justice going to be the issue? I would say no. Okay, I'm going back on what I said earlier, because I just heard uh, our governor, Sununu, uh, speak uh, uh, with, uh, on a Zoom with the New England uh, Council, a, a business group that uh, invites politicians to talk about what's going on. And the governor allowed is how the state economy was going to take a $500 million hit in uh, the upcoming uh, year. $500 million. Now, that's a huge portion of what amounts to the annual budget for the state of New Hampshire. That is a really big amount of money in New Hampshire to lose. It's uncertain whether Congress uh, will do anything to help the states. Uh, one of the interesting things the governor said was when asked about relief for the states, and, and, and by the way, this is all going to my point about what we will be talking about. When the governor said, well, in his discussions with Republican Senate colleagues, what he's hearing is they're not so sure that any further uh, relief is warranted given the jobs numbers 
that were revealed. Now, we know that the jobs report was the product of a technical glitch, that it was inaccurate, but still apparently there's now a growing reluctance among the senators to offer any more help for struggling states. So traditionally, what really counts is how's the economy doing? Um, how, how are you making out? Or as famous, famous famously asked, are you better off today than you were four years ago? Well, if the question is asked in the broadest sense as the seminal, uh, seminal issue in the, in the presidential race, it's pretty hard uh, to, to wrap your brain around, are you better off than you were four years ago? You know, four years ago, I wasn't in the middle of a pandemic. I didn't, hadn't lost my job. I wasn't afraid to go out uh, bowling or to a restaurant. And uh, here I am cowering still in my basement, having to wear a mask I can't breathe on. And the guy in, in the White House is whipping people up into, a, into, into some sort of mad frenzy. So the answer is, uh, it's the economy, stupid. Can I pick up on your last point, though? Because I, 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 I think it's really important. So you were alluding to the famous debate question that Ronald Reagan posed to Walter Mondale, or really to the American people at the conclusion of, of the debate, are you better off than you were four years ago? Well, that line was written by my grad school mentor, David Gergen, frequent uh, guest on CNN. And when I, was, when I was working for him in grad school, he said that he always regretted that he left the line like that. What he thought would have made it better, um, more uplifting, and a, a better question is, are you better off than you were four years ago? Is our country in a better place than we were four years ago? And I think the unspoken part of Professor Gergen's question is the one that's most relevant in the upcoming election. You know, an, another political operative who's on CNN and well-known, Paul Begala, says that there are two basic kinds of messages in American campaigns. There's let's stay the course and there's it's time for a change. And we've seen both in recent political vintage, right? I mean, we've seen Barack Obama put his whole campaign around it's time for a change. And then he was president and let's stay the course. And I think what you are seeing here is we don't know to connect to the last question we don't know what the dominant issue will be by November. It's very likely that it's going to be a reshuffling. New events could occur. There's probably going to be an October surprise. It's not going to look like it does today. But I think the aggregate issue of the second part, the unspoken part of the Gergen, Ronald Reagan question is, are we better off as a country? Do you like where the country is going? I think what's happened in the last few months is that this has turned into a change election. And the message that Biden has had from the beginning about a return to normalcy is going to resonate. It's going to be, do you like all of this mess that's happening? Or are you ready for a breath of fresh air and kind of a fresh start? I think that's going to resonate no matter where the issue profile and what's, what are the priorities most on people's minds, no matter where that ends up by November. So do you think, uh, is, is the presidential race then 
uh, is it a done deal? Is it over? Is it all over except the shouting? Does it matter uh, what president does with his national convention in Jacksonville, Florida or not? Uh, is he listening to anybody about what's, what his, his, his capacity for stupidity has meant for his election prospects? And, 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 and doesn't this mean that Democrats can just be as complacent as they'd like to be about uh, their politics? I mean, we've got dear old Joe against uh, a crazy man in the White House. It's a done deal. The polling has him up double digits. Let's just uh, fold our tents and go home. Let him, let him keep on shooting himself in the foot and everything's going to be, you know, everything will be fine. We'll, we can start planning the transition. What color should the drapes be? I don't like the gold drapes in the Oval Office. I want to change the drapery. Well, I do think they need to start planning the transition. I actually wrote an article about that uh, a few weeks ago, that uh, there's such a smoking crater in all the federal agencies and so much underhanded skullduggery and uh, outright larceny going on that uh, it's going to be the work of several years to just figure out where all the bodies are buried and exhume them and try and get things back on track. But um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to your question with a question in a second. Let me just throw a little bit of evidence to your, to your high level. Is it over, right? I'll, I'll throw some evidence at you, and then, uh, then I've got a question for, for you. So the evidence, yeah, it's, you know, look, I got a call from uh, a high-level political operative earlier this week saying, look, all the pollsters that this person is talking to, both Republicans and Democrats, are saying, this cake is kind of baked, um, when you look at the reactions of suburban voters, suburban white voters especially, which, by the way, the suburbs are much more racially diverse than people realize, um, but suburban white voters and suburban white women especially, especially those with a college degree, the president is so far underwater, he, uh, he could be pulling up the Titanic. He is, he is sunk. Um, and as you said, I mean, you know, the average of polls right now has Biden about eight points ahead of Trump. Um, you know, there was a very interesting finding. It was, it was sort of on background off the record. It was buried in the Washington Post article, but some intrepid reporter pulled out of the Trump campaign the fact that they had poll tested 17 lines of, of attack against Joe Biden. And at the end of running all of these lines of attack, Joe Biden went from winning in their polling by three points to winning by one point. That means that nothing works. And when you look Overall, at the polling margins between Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump going back a year, they've been remarkably stable. At no point does Joe Biden's low point and Donald Trump's high point put Trump ahead of Biden. So, yes, you start adding up all the evidence and, and you look at, you know, the really gaudy polls that have come out in the last week, you know, with, as you said, Biden up by double digits. And you start to think about, wow, it's going to be awfully hard for Biden to lose this. But now it's time for the question to you. Um, talk to me about democratic psychology. Don't we have a level of PTSD about this? Didn't I just see this movie in 2016 where it was like we're measuring the drapes and smelling the roses? And is there almost a perverse thing going on? I mean, you're well wired in democratic circles. Is there like this weird upside down reality where the better things go, the more anxious Democrats feel. Is that what's happening? Well, Democrats are by nature 
anxious because if you're propelled and motivated by hope and doing good things for people and trying to bring people together and leaving no one behind and 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 investing in social justice and change and all those good things the uh, ability of democrats to wring their hands to go off course in terms of messaging to gaff uh gaff their way uh to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory is something that you and i have noticed over now a few years that we've spent together talking about politics it's not it's not the first time that we have remarked on the particular psychology of democrats what 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 because and also you got to remember that that democrats when you use that term it's such a big tent with so many different identities and so many different uh, tribes that need to come together in the long hut in the end with so many potential messages and and uh, and possibility for somebody's nose getting out of joint and somebody's nose that's important getting out of joint for example here's one thing that we might be looking at we're all in the long hut together we've experienced all this the tribes have gathered and there is a sense or perception that the Democrats have not truly grasped the nature and depth of what needs to happen about systemic racism. Let's just say in a large sense that that comes out, that people look at what the congressional Democrats do to try to take action and they say, meh, feh. You clearly don't get it. You think that by putting on African cloths and dropping to your knee in Congress that you're actually saying you're doing something for us, the, the African-Americans who've been the subject of this oppression for all these centuries. We don't think so. We're staying home. And with that, we're going to tease that one and we'll continue with our chat about who ought to be the vice president when we come back on Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes and WKXL AM and FM. We're going to take a little break to hear from the folks who keep the station on the air and we'll come back to opine some more. Don't go away. Hello, folks. We're back. It's Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes of WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet as we speak at nhtalkradio.com, where you can listen on your computer or personal digital device. We're a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. We're talking about politics and Democrats and the president and the election and what it's all about. It reminds me of the old English movie, What's It All About, Alfie? Nobody knows is the answer. Um, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a kid's song about that. Nobody knows what will happen. Da, 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 do, do, do. So we're trying to figure out, we're prognosticating here about 
what's going to be the major issue? Is it the economy? Is it systemic racism? Is it the president's incompetence? Is it, what is it? Is it, is it Joe's age? Is it his gaffes? What's going to captivate the public come November? With an October surprise in the offing, with a surge in pandemic in the offing, with opening up and shutting down in the offing, it's pretty hard to predict what is going to be the driving force, though the polls tell us that the Democrats could be lulled into some sort of complacency because they think they have a lock. Now, that is belied by what's going on in the streets. And I'll just ask this question. We're seeing people carrying signs that say defund the police. I think that that message is a challenge for Democrats. I think it's a problem. There's a lot of people who uh, care deeply about being protected by the police and for whom defunding the police sounds like an extreme measure, even in the face of their understanding about systemic racism, police brutality and changes that need to be made. So just in terms of a message, uh, if what we're concerned about is an emotionally resonant message, I think it's a message that does not help Democrats at all. I think it gets in the way uh, because nobody understands what it means. And if you have to explain it, you're in trouble. Um, and, and Democrats do too much explaining anyway, because what really people are talking about is reprioritizing investments to um, uh, introduce the kinds of services that are more attuned to what's necessary in communities, making police intervention less necessary. Um, and, and calling that defunding the police, although it, people are talking about shifting funds away from policing to other services, just it's a crazy message. Absolutely. I mean, the, the key part in there is the old mantra that in politics, if you're explaining, you're losing. And so the problem with defund the police is that it involves a lot of, well, no one is saying disband. And what we really mean is reallocate some policing money to social programs. And if you watch the way the Democrats have tried to navigate this, this question, you can see it involves a lot of dancing. Uh, on the Sunday shows last week, Cory Booker, Muriel Bowser, the... <laughs> Uh, mayor of Washington, D.C., um, you know, Kamala Harris was fairly effective about it on the, the View with Megan McCain, and her tactic was to turn the question back on the questioner and say, well, what do you mean by defund? And if you have to resort to that, you're getting into a long explanation. I, I just love to see someday a uh, social science study on message effectiveness correlated with number of words in the message. I'm sure that each word is like a slap in the face for the effectiveness of your, your message. So look, would I prefer a message like police reform, fix the police? You know, that's, it doesn't sound quite as confrontational, which is definitely the mood um, of, of the protesters and the movement, and frankly, a lot of the Democratic Party right now. Um, it, you know, it's less confrontational. Um, and and, and it's, so maybe it's not where people are at, but would that be a little bit more effective would it incite less uh, backlash? Yes, probably. But uh, at the same time, I don't think we should over tilt on the danger at this stage either. I mean, Joe Biden's been very definitive about this, um, that he is not 
talking about defunding police. And Democrats aren't really revolting on him. So um, it, it seems like um, it, it seems like this is not this is a problem that is fairly contained. Um, and I'll just say that, I mean, again, I know that this is a semantics argument, but, you know, if you turn the question around and you and the upside in terms of effectiveness, if you really honed in on a set of strategies like what is in the bill that uh, the Democrats have put forward in the House um, and you labeled it an approach centered on fixing and reforming, could you get more police leaders on board? Could you split the opposition and could you be almost unstoppable? Yes. So clearly talking about defunding just creates an opening that doesn't need to be there for something that right now is um, gaining large majorities of the American public and rightfully so. So in that light, given the protests that have happened, given where the Democratic primary is, um, do where what's going on with the whole moderate versus liberal uh, Democratic internecine warfare? Is it still happening? Is that still even an argument anymore? Or have the various uh, clans, uh, you know, uh, crossed? Cross, put their shields down and uh, had a beer together? You know, it's a great question because there was this, <laughs> this really interesting article this week in Politico that really caught my eye, not just because, you know, there was a, a, a list of liberals. It was ostensibly about how many liberal challengers had not won the nomination in U.S. Senate primaries. But what, what really grabbed me was the amount of sort of excuses and blame storming uh, in the quotes coming from progressive leaders. Blamestorming, by the way, is a great uh, new word. It's where you just look around for anyone to blame possible. Um, you know, and so you have these quotes in here from, you know, the head of the, the Sunrise Movement and the head of this uh, Data for Progress and all these liberal groups saying, well, it's that it's really that they lack the infrastructure. We don't have the infrastructure. Or, well, it's really Chuck Schumer's putting his thumb on the scale. Or there hasn't been enough money. Or, you know, the movement likes the, the flashy people online, but not the real legislators. And sort of casting blame everywhere except for the most obvious cause, which is, you know, 52% of Democrats identify as either moderate or conservative. And, you know, if you look at the track record of highly progressive challengers in primaries, it's not really strong. In 2018, the, those, those groups that funded Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez style progressive challengers in primaries pretty much batted over. Um, you know, and AOC herself was really an outlier. She was running in an increasingly demographically diverse district. Um, she ran this playbook that the, the longtime incumbent Joe Crowley uh, had gone Washington, and that, that playbook has worked before. I mean, shoot, it worked against Tom Foley in 1994, and it worked for AOC. But, you know, it, that doesn't speak to the idea that there's a surge of energy on the highly progressive side of the Democratic Party. I think the reality is that, um, you know, it, it, there's, just a, there's just an ongoing confusion in discussing politics that, People think that the parties are mirror images, 
They think that Republicans have grown more conservative and, and they're all one thing. And the way you win in Republican circles is by being more conservative and that Democrats are becoming more liberal. And the way you win among Democrats is by being more liberal. That's just not true. The Democrats are a very different party. We've said it on this show many times. They are a coalition with very different interests, of a far broader uh, demographic set. And so, you know, I think that to your question, I, I, I think that fundamentally the party has not changed as much as the media would like to make it out to be. I think there is a ton of room for more progressive energy. I think you've seen candidates who are the non, you know, the more centrist establishment candidates have moved left somewhat. And they, so all of that energy on the left has been effective to some degree. Um, but it's not like you're seeing the same thing among Democrats as you're seeing among Republicans, which is a much more rapid and, and much farther march to the right. So with, with all the, I'm, with all the kumbaya among Democrats, and really that's, uh, for, for my money, I, I would say that right now there is a truce, is what I think, between the moderate and liberal or progressive wings of the party, or the entire spectrum right now is in a state of truce galvanized by the recent protests. Um, uh, it's causing Joe Biden to think hard about uh, what, what, how he's going to, um, how he's going to position himself, and he's got to choose a vice president. And uh, there is, I think, a lot more pressure on Joe Biden to choose a person of color. We know he's going to choose a woman, but I think there's more pressure than ever to choose a person of color. And uh, is, is, is Kamala Harris still best positioned to be that pick given the prosecutor backlash, the, the policing backlash, the, the, the police brutality protests? Doesn't that cause some problems for her? And I'm going to ask you to answer that question fairly quickly because we're running out of time. You know, I think it's like Joe Biden said, although he was quoting someone else, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. I think we've covered on this show before the fact that there's very strong evidence in the political science literature that um, having an African-American candidate on your ticket or as your nominee for an office um, has a direct and palpable impact on African-American voter turnout. And we covered extensively last week the fact that African-American voter turnout remains one of the key factors in the success or failure of the Democratic Party in November. So I think there is vast political upside to having an African-American woman. I think that there is uh, great substantive governing upside to having someone with the experience and the demonstrated temperament of Senator Harris. And, you know, to just bring it full circle, I think if you have decided that the best political approach is we need an African-American woman um, and you 
think, okay, Senator Harris is well qualified to be the vice president and president. Um, Then you start to think about the alternatives. And the one thing that she has that some of the other very uh, notable and and admirable names that are out there is um, she has a level of government experience and credibility as a leader um, that is, is unmatched. And she has been extensively vetted. And the one thing you don't want to do, there's like a Hippocratic oath here. You don't want when you're in such a strong position today to end up in a, to use a really regrettable example, Sarah Palin situation where you have not fully vetted someone. I'm not comparing any of the other alternatives to Sarah Palin, but you don't want to have big surprises that create a lot of challenges for your campaign. I think we have a high degree of confidence that Senator Harris has been well vetted. She is well prepared. um, And politically, uh, she can probably help Joe Biden the most. You heard it here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson. Don't go away, folks. We'll be back to wrap up after this. We're back. It's Off the Record with Matt Reverson and Paul Hodes on WKXL, Steve Barbett, NHTalkRadio.com. Matt, we covered the waterfront this week. We, we hit the president, presidential politics. We hit the Democratic Party politics. We hit, we hit all kinds of issues, and I think we've solved just about everything. Uh, we, want, we, we, we see the Democrats winning. Uh, Kamala Harris may be VP. Joe Biden is... Uh, coming out of his bunker. Trump is shooting himself in the foot. Nothing to add for me this week. Anything from you? Let's just see what the next week brings. My goodness. My goodness. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson on WKXL. Thanks to the good folks who keep the station on the air. Thanks to all our listeners. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record.